hello there. I'm Asher Lemond, and welcome to the Spoonrift Podcast. Here on the show, I talk about a lot. I skim the surface of a giant ocean of information, and I capture the spoondrift of information. On today's episode, I want to talk about satellites, and the conversation begins. Now for the question. Why are we sending satellites to the moon? Well... The reason that we want to do that, at least one of them, one of the many reasons why we want to send satellites to the moon would be easy navigation and communication because eventually what a lot of organizations are hoping to do is colonize the moon. If we're able to track where things are when we're on the moon and that's already been something that we've needed because we've had rovers down on the lunar surface and so being able to communicate with them quickly has been important and to be able to keep track of where they're going and where they're at is also important. So I found an article from the BBC that talks about a mission to send satellites to the moon. And a major effort is being pioneered, is being pushed right now by the European Space Agency to work on developing a SatNav telecommunications network for the moon. Basically, some satellites that will orbit the moon and provide telecommunication services as well as navigation services. That would be like GPS. Uh, Purpose of it is to be able to more easily navigate on the surface of the moon. That could be for remote controlled rovers or for people who are actually down on the surface. And the next benefit of that would be communication. If we've got people on the moon, then They need to be able to communicate with one another, and then perhaps even more importantly, back to Earth. And satellites orbiting the moon would enable that communication to happen more easily and more quickly. And speed with communication is very important because if something happens while you're on the surface of the moon and you need some answers, you've got a lot of people back on Earth willing to help you out in those telecommunication satellites. Make that communication happen quickly. So now we've kind of got the purpose, like why why do we want to send satellites to the moon? Uh, what about who's doing it? I mentioned the European Space Agency. What they've done right now is they've commissioned a feasibility study for this SatNav network for the moon. And that basically means they just want to know how this would work, uh, what's needed, uh, how much it would cost, what's the hardware that they need to create. And they're looking to fund the project. The European Space Agency, in this feasibility study, what they've done is they've brought in some companies, some private companies, to help with their study. Namely, the Surrey Satellite Technology Limited, SSTL for short, which is a UK satellite manufacturer. They've actually helped build navigational satellite systems for the European Union before, so they might kind of know what they're doing with that. And the next company that's in on this project is Telespazio, an Italian space systems company. And they've worked in satellite telecommunication systems as well. So you put these two companies on this task and they'll provide the European Space Agency with some information about what this satellite network could look like. Uh, that's the, the who. How about the what? Uh, the project itself is called the Moonlight Project. It's, as I mentioned, a feasibility study. And that means what the European Space Agency is trying to do is find out what the satellite would look like. 
They want to know what sort of hardware would be required, what sort of software would be required. Uh, how do we get the satellites there? What sort of launch capabilities are we needing in order to get the hardware to the moon? How long is it going to take? How much is it going to cost? All these things they need to know. Um, and looking into the hardware a bit more, what this could look like physically would be a constellation of three satellites. Um, and they'll start with one to just kind of prove that the satellite is working um, and to prove the process of getting it there and getting it functioning is in order. And then they'll, they'll add more satellites. And those satellites will provide positioning services as well as the ability to relay communications between different satellites in the constellation. And the satellite constellation could be complemented by surface beacons meant to help improve accuracy of the signal transmission. When is this going to happen? Well, the feasibility study is happening right now. The construction and deployment of the satellites, that would probably be within the next decade. And it's meant to support the lunar missions that are being planned right now. And I'm going to talk a bit about those in a few minutes because there's a lot of them. Apparently, a lot of groups are looking to get to the moon within the next 10 years. Uh, where is this happening? Well, <laughs> the moon. <laughs> How is it happening? Good question. That's kind of the point of the study. The idea is that the governments, namely the European Space Agency, and the um, and NASA's also looking to go this way, the government will pay commercial companies for the services. And that's kind of the general structure that a lot of um, public space agencies are going with. Specifically on this project, the way they're hoping or the way they're thinking it might go would be that the governments would pay commercial companies for the service. And so the private companies would actually own and operate the satellites that are orbiting around the moon. So they pay to get the hardware up there. I mean, the, the, um, the governments will help fund the construction and development of the actual satellites. But the private companies are going to be the ones that are going to own, operate, and maintain the satellites. The governments then will pay the companies for the service. So if the satellites there are providing GPS, global positioning system services, then the governments will pay the companies in order to access the service. But the services themselves are being operated by private companies. So it it kind of extends the responsibility of the system and brings more people into the project. So that's that's kind of that's kind of the mission here with sending satellites to the moon. And now I mentioned before that these satellites up on the moon they're going to be helping with a wide array of other missions hoping to get there. Because you know right now we're not doing a whole lot on the moon. Right now it's mainly the race to get there. There have been a couple, there, there are some landers up there, some maybe some orbiters still, but the lunar missions over the next 10 years expected to, to ramp up a lot. I found a pretty good article from the MIT Technology Review that summarizes all the major lunar missions that are going to be happening over the next decade or so. We've got NASA with the Artemis program. Artemis 1 the Artemis program is kind of the overreaching mission is kind of the overreaching initiative 
to get humans to the moon again. There's also the Viper program, which is a rover meant to search for ice reserves on the moon. And that's a program also put on by NASA. So those are two major programs by the United States Space Agency looking to get to the moon. We've also got China with their Chang'e 5 and 6 missions. Now the Chang'e 5 actually it already successfully landed on the moon, gathered a sample, and returned to Earth. And I covered that story toward the end of season one of the Spin Drift. And Chang'e 6 still yet to come. So we've got the U.S., we've got China. Next, we have India with a Chajaryan 3 mission. Pardon my poor pronunciation there. But that's a lunar sample mission planned for next year, 2022. Also, we have Russia with Luna 25, 26, and 27 missions. Luna 25 is a lunar sample mission planned to launch later this year, 2021. Next, we have two private companies on contracts from NASA, the Astrobotic Company and Intuitive Machines. Both are private companies with contracts with NASA meant to send landers to the moon for research. Next, iSpace and Draper Lab. iSpace is a Japanese company working with Draper Lab based in the United States to build a lander and a rover to send up to the moon. Planetary Transportation Systems, that's a German company looking to send a lander slash rover up to the moon. We have JAXA, that's the Japanese space agency, looking to send rovers and satellites up to the moon. We also have South Korea, looking to send the Korean Pathfinder Lunar Orbiter up to the moon. And we have SpaceX, planning to send the Starship to the moon with cargo and eventually humans on board. So, I mean, that's a lot of missions. We have United States and NASA. We have China. We have India. We have Russia. We got private companies working with NASA. We have the Japanese Space Agency, South Korea. I mean, the the number of missions hoping to make it to the moon in the next 10 years is a lot. <laughs> I mean, that was just, that was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That was like 10 missions. And some of those missions involved multiple companies. And that's, that's all happening very soon. <laughs> so these this constellation of satellites are all kind of, they would help to support those missions and help them be able to operate. And the, the constellation of satellites would be able to last and operate for a long period of time so they could support any missions far into the future. Yeah, there's <laughs> the moon is a major focus, it seems, for a lot of companies, both public and private, right now. <laughs> So I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm really excited to see where these missions go. Yeah. We we shall we shall see. All right. So just a second ago, I was talking about the 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 mission or at least some of the prep work behind one of the missions to send some satellites up to the moon. Now, satellites are great once you get them in the space and once they're working. But <laughs> as with everything, they only work for so long or maybe they break or run out of fuel or any number of things can go wrong and when things when you have some sort of system operating away from human access you want to be able to go in and fix problems without human interaction with it and satellites they're they're they can be a big problem because we we have a history of putting a lot of things up into space and just letting them stay. <laughs> and when those things stay, they either they, you have a couple of options. One, 
you go up and try to fix it. That's tricky because you have to have another satellite go up and fix it. Uh, you have an option too. You can just let it die and just forget about it. That's a bad option, but it's one that's probably done a bit too often. Um, and then another option would be to somehow boost it, give it a give it some aid from some other spacecraft. And that last option is what we're going to talk about today. Satellite docking. An article from the BBC details how Intellisat 1002, which is a telecommunications satellite, was helped along by another satellite. And that other satellite actually docked with the at-risk telecommunications satellite in a process to extend its lifespan. The telecommunications satellite Intellisat 1002 was running out of fuel. It had been in operation for 17 years and it was running out. It was either at that, it was at that point where either the company would just let it die or do something to help extend its life. And that's what they chose. They decided to try to extend the satellite's life. And these satellites are relied on by, for broadband and telephone services here on earth. If you do just let it die, that, that does put a big hole in the operation you're trying to run with satellites. Now, the solution that they used was to send up what's called a mission extension vehicle. What it does is it attaches to an at-risk satellite, and it's able to use its fuel and thrusters to power the at-risk satellite. In this case, the MEV attached to the satellite that was running out of fuel and used its own thrusters and fuel to power it and keep it in orbit. Now this is this was actually successfully done. And it's only the second time that this that such a docking has ever actually been a success. Who did it? Well, Northrop Grumman. Northrop Grumman is the company that is operating the MEV that was able to save this dying telecommunications satellite. And it was through a subsidiary called Space Logistics. How did they do it? The MEV went up next to this telecommunications satellite and it stuck a probe out, and it inserted the probe into the engine nozzle of the at-risk satellite, and then arms extended from the MEV to get a good grip. And so it basically attached itself to the satellite, and now they're going to just operate as one, and it's extended the life of the dying satellite. Now, in the future, other vehicles could do the same thing that this MEV is doing and just continue powering the satellite, but they've got a couple other ideas a couple other things that these satellite savers <laughs> are they could potentially do. One would be satellite servicing. So they could go up there and fix a satellite using robotic arms or something. Uh, they could also push the satellites into graveyard orbits where you would basically forget it. And a part of that graveyard orbit would, would be that it would be low enough that the Earth's gravity would eventually pull the satellite in and the satellite would burn up in the atmosphere. Uh, MEVs could also potentially assemble satellites in space. And finally, they could just attach new fuel pods to satellites to give them more fuel for propulsion. Another company that is working on this, other than Northrop Grumman, these sort of mission extension vehicles, would be Astroscale, and they're hoping to demonstrate their deorbiting services. And I would say this 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 niche in um, the satellite industry is one that is providing a solution to space junk. And space junk is just 
the stuff up in space that we're no longer using, but is still in orbit around Earth. And what the MEVs can do is they can prevent satellites from becoming space junk, which is good, or find ways to just get rid of the space junk in the case of decommissioning satellites. So in that on that in that sense, I think it's a it's a beneficial technology. And one that could apply a lot of different regions because I mean this would require fully autonomous systems or at least um, systems that are able to operate completely remotely. So back on Earth, such a technology could be extended to very hazardous environments or environments that just humans can't get to. There you have it. Mission extension vehicles, MEVs, and how they're changing the satellite industry. Time for the music update. This week, I'm looking forward to the release of four albums. The first is an album from Marina called Ancient Dreams in a Modern Land. Next is an album from Maroon 5 called Geordie. Album three is from Skyzoo called All the Brilliant Things. And finally, we have the soundtrack from In the Heights from Lin-Manuel Miranda. Okay, there, there are the albums that I'm looking forward to coming out. Now my music picks. <laughs> I've got quite a bit. I, I, I was going through a couple of playlists uh, throughout the past week or so. And the good thing about playlists is they got a lot of new music that I'm unfamiliar with. And so as I'm going through them, I'm like, oh, I like that one. Throw it in the playlist. So there's, there's a wide variety, I would say, actually, in this one. First, I have Virus by Cloud. And that's a Prisma remix. And... I would categorize it as English electronic. Next, Sunday Sunshine by Young Rising Suns, English alternative. A-OK by Ty Verdez, English alternative. The Walls Are Way Too Thin by Holly Humberstone, English alternative. Lost by Blake Rose, the Lucian remix, English alternative. I Deserve to Be Alone by Ty Verdez, English alternative. Colorblind by Mokita, English Alternative. My Only Mistake by Eliana, English Alt Pop. Savior Complex by Phoebe Bridgers, English Indie. If I Were You by Cloud, English Indie. Dion by The Japanese House featuring Justin Vernon, English Indie. On Your Way Now by Sharon Van Etten, English Indie. Hannah Sun by Lamelda, English Indie. More of the Same by Caroline Rose, English Indie. Self with an exclamation point by Isaiah Huron, English Indie. The next one, this song is, is, is quite, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's Wait, I Lied by Alfie Templeman, English Alternative. Sharpener by Cave Town, English Indie. Down by St. Vincent, English Indie Rock. Do You Mind by Fleece, English Indie. And finally, this song I don't know. It's it's not really a song you would listen to. I know it sounds weird. Why would I put it in a playlist then? But it's it's uh, kind of adorable, kind of annoying, and probably it's it's kind of popular. But I, I couldn't help it. It, <laughs> it captured my attention. What can I say? It's called "That's My Baby Dog" <laughs> by Chicky Milky. That's my baby dog. That's my baby dog. It's it's weird. Really weird, but I couldn't help but add it to the list. It's so funny. Okay, so there's 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 my music update for this week. 
I want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Spoon Drift. If you want to listen to the music that I talked about, you can check out my Spotify profile, The Spoon Drift Podcast, and find The Spoon Drift Season 2, Episode 19 playlist. For more episodes of The Spoon Drift, you can visit Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spinnaker Radio's home on the web, radio.unfspinnaker.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to keep up to date on everything to do with The Spoon Drift, you can find me on Twitter at SpoonDriftPod. That's at SpoonDriftPod. Or you can find me on Instagram at SpoonDriftPodcast. That's at SpoonDriftPodcast. And a quick note of clarification here. On Spotify, there's the show, which if you're listening through Spotify, you found that by like typing in the SpoonDrift and it came up with the show. Now, in order to find the playlists that accompany each episode, those are made available on the Spoondrift Podcast profile. So if you search the Spoondrift Podcast and you see the, the icon that says circle, that co- that, that's the Spoondrift Podcast, that's the profile for the show where you can find all of the playlists. I just thought that would be helpful to clarify in case you're looking at the show, not seeing the, the playlists and are a little bit confused because <laughs> they're, they're two different things. I know it's, it's a little confusing, but yeah. And that's all, that's all I got for today, so... I hope to talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.